everybody. Thanks for joining me for the Fourth State Podcast. It has been a while, but uh, I'm still alive. And surprise, surprise, surprise. Brand new for 2018. Uh, I have a co-host, so this is pretty cool. No more recording in the car on the way to work, uh, driving with one hand and recording with the other. Uh, I have an actual live co-host, and even more surprising than that, he's an actual journalist. So I want to welcome Bob Smetana, formerly of the Tennessean and all kinds of other stuff. He's been published in lots of different places. As the brand new co-host for the Fourth State Podcast, Bob Smetana. What's up, dude? Not much. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sitting here in Nashville. This is waiting a, this for... is the most subdued I have ever seen you. It's like you don't even know what to do. Well, I was just going to say, say I'm sitting here in Nashville, basking in the 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 warm presence of my fellow coworkers who are Titans fans, <laughs> thinking that if we just throw the ball up and bounce off somebody, we might beat the Patriots, and waiting for the evil empire to crush them, and just. Smiling and biting my tie. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Bob is an insufferable New England Patriots fan and has been since he was born, I guess. I don't know. Are you from I'm New from England? there, yeah. No, I grew up about 20 minutes from the stadium, and there were there were Patriots players who lived in my hometown. No my kidding. mom used to treat them at the local hospital. She was the... So like when John Hanna played? John Hanna played, yeah. John yeah. Hanna and... Uh, Steve Grogan. Steve Grogan, yeah, and Sam Bam. Yeah, okay, I remember those Stanley guys. Stanley Morgan, Julius, boy, this, Matt Adams. This is a long time ago. So, uh, so you're old. I'm old. I'm fifty. I'll be fifty-three next year. Okay, which All is right. frightening. So, uh, everybody who's listened to the podcast for very long knows that I'm not a professional journalist. I'm a hack at best, uh, but I do enjoy uh, the truth. I enjoy the news and trying to determine uh, where the facts are uh, as opposed to where the speculation is and all that kind of thing. Uh, but you are an actual journalist. You have, you've actually made a living writing stories that got published in news outlets. So that's a little different than me. Uh, so give a little history about yourself and some of the work that you've done, some of the stories that you've written that, that they, listeners might have heard of. Well, I've been a reporter full-time or journalist. I made my living writing about religion since 1999, so okay. for 18 years. Before that, I worked in the nonprofit world. I thought I was going to go out and save the world, and I was terrible at it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't make any money, and then that I always wanted to be a writer, and you can't make anybody writing, but I liked it. I thought, so well, are y'all picking up a theme here? Bob's never made any money. I thought, <laughs> well, I might as well do something to join if I'm not going to get paid for <laughs> So uh, I'm a little bit, kind of, and then I started writing magazines, did some books. Then I became a newspaper reporter in my 40s, so I kind of did it backwards. Okay. But I always covered religion, uh, written about snake handlers and about Southern Baptists and cat cults and that guy who quit his job because 666 came showing up on his badge. And all kinds I of remember stuff. that one. So I'm, and I'm really interested in like how the internal workings of religion, like how does how do different people make sense of the world? Mm-hmm. You know, by their faith. And part of it is because I was a convert. My folks, we didn't go to church as kids. When I was about 13, we started going to this even, little evangelical covenant church mm-hmm. in my hometown. So I was like, oh, how does this religion thing work? So I've, that's always been my interest. So yeah. if, you're, if you're a Muslim or you know, a Mormon or a Methodist, I want to know like how you make sense of the world, right. how you apply your faith. Because we have all these sacred texts, but mm-hmm. then we take them and apply them in different ways. Yeah. And it's just... So speaking of the cat cult, 
Uh, one thing before we move on to how it's connected to today's episode, uh, you pitched that story to, was it WAPO? Was it Washington Post? Post? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and they rejected it for, for whatever reason, yeah. uh, probably because it was too, it was kind of localized. It was, it it was, was kind of a local story. It was too long, and, and my editor was on vacation. So you turned around and repitched it to the Nashville scene, which is a local, kind of a news mag, yeah, yeah, really. News mag. It's still printed, right? Yeah. yeah. Print. Uh, and they retitled it, and they called it what? Apocalypse Meow. Apocalypse Meow. So if you Google or Yahoo or whatever, uh, Apocalypse Meow, you will find Bob's article about the cat cult published in the Nashville scene. Uh, But that's actually connected to uh, our discussion today. We're going to be talking about three news stories. Uh, One of them, we're going to be talking about Michael Wolff's book, uh, not the content so much as how does Michael Wolff's book relate to journalism. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the uh, the death of the head of the Mormon Church, uh, but first we're going to start off with the cat cult and the New England New England. I, I say that wrong every single time. The Patriots uh, and their superstar quarterback, the poor woe is me Tom Brady. Uh, so there's actually you've written something at RNS where you uh, rehash the cat cult and bring it into Brady's life because he's kind of involved in something weird. He's kind of involved in something weird. So, so like Marty said earlier, I, I grew up watching Patriots. They were terrible. Came Tom Brady fan from the beginning. Young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, underdog hero and watched him develop from sort of this all-American kid into kind of a 40-year-old married to supermodel. Spiritual larger than guru, life. Larger than life. Yeah. So he, he, a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago, actually, met this trainer named Alex Guerrero and Guerrero is, is a apparently a great physical trainer mm-hmm. great recovery from injuries but he has uh, a checkered past he claimed to be a doctor when he wasn't he used to sell concussion juice and but cancer he, juice but listen he stayed at a holiday inn last night so he gets so, away with some of this so he's stuff. a snake oil salesman okay and who happens to be a talent trainer okay and Brady has fallen under his sway and when, and now there's something that the, the Boston Press calls the gospel of TV 12. He has a whole company and a book. And so this is Brady and Guerrero together? They're together, yes. They, okay. have a, they have a company called TV 12, which uh, is larger than life. And he's sort of like, you know, here's my spiritual. That there's a, he's got actually a movie coming out where he's going to ruminate on the karmic implications of playing football. So kind of... Brady is? Brady is. Has he had that concussion protocol done recently? He's gone to full time cruise. So, Good, nice. So I, uh, I feel, I'm really interested in weird Men named Tom Beware. Yeah, I've, I've written you know, a number of stories about cults or sex and mm-hmm. when you get, how does religion go wrong? Because if you're a Protestant, religion is do it yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You read the Bible for yourself, you consult other people, but you are in charge of interpreting it. So is Brady telling a. Brought myself up by the brought myself up by the bootstraps kind of a tale here. No, it's more like a it's more like a secret knowledge thing. I discovered so you so eat avocado ice, ice cream and you you know do a lot of flexibility and you sort of believe in your mind. That you you're said something about ice cream. Yeah, he, he eats avocado ice cream. Oh, avocado, avocado ice, cream. ice cream. He has a kind of a very Gross. strange. He has this whole system of why. Well, avocado doesn't even have a taste. That's like eating green vanilla ice cream. It doesn't even have a taste. Eat pistachio if you want green yeah. or mint chocolate chip or something. <laughs> Avocado ice cream. So he, he's really, I mean, he's very religious about his eating. And, and it's gone from, like, good health to this kind of spiritual 
awakening of mm-hmm. life. And, he, and he's playing much longer than most players. Oh, yeah, age. that's for sure. And the trainer has done a great job getting him ready, but he also... But, I mean, isn't, I mean look, Nolan Ryan threw 100 miles an hour yeah. almost until he was, like, 85 years old. I mean, he played, obviously, it's a, it's a lower contact sport, yeah. but he was at a very high level. Greg Maddox, totally different type of pitcher, but was at a very high level until he blew his arm up. Uh, there have been guys, uh, there was a guy that played for the Rangers for a long time, then he played for the Braves. Yeah. Uh, Ichiro is still playing. Can't think of his name. Oh, Ichiro, really? Ichiro, Ichiro is still playing. Uh, and, and so this guy that I'm talking about played first base for the Braves. He's like 45. Then he went to Japan and played, and, and he's one of those guys that nobody really knows how old he is. He could be 60, still yeah. playing ball. I can't think of his name. Oh, do you remember Jamie Moyer from the Phillies? Jamie Moyer was 40. No, I don't keep up with those Northeastern teams, through Bob. junk ball, but he was still, I mean... Uh, Drew Brees this weekend is 30 years old. Okay. Leaving the Saints, he's got a trainer. So, so, so I mean, obviously Brady's unique in that regard. Yes. Uh, my guess is he hasn't taken as much punishment over the years, like year by season by season. He hasn't been sacked 25 times a season or 40 times a season or just beat down half to death yeah, like some been, others have because yeah, yeah. he's always he's had a better offensive line. So is some of his ability, like, I'm not discounting the fact that good conditioning can help. What I'm asking is, is there really a reason for him to be selling TB12? Yes, because he and his trainer, yeah, this is where it becomes interesting. Okay. He and his trainer have started out with something good. You eat right. Okay. You train yourself year-round. You focus on kind of strength and flexibility as you get older. The same thing a guy at the GNC counter could tell you. Could tell you. Okay. But he's added like this special nods, like, you know, and the guy who, uh, who's his trainer used to be a missionary, Mormon missionary. Okay. He kind of sells you. I mean, America has a long history going back to the guy, the goat nuts guy, the guy who was, you know, in the, uh, you know, the, Cornflakes started because yeah, yeah, you know, cornflakes yeah, no, become spiritual that better. Yeah, the guy who funded much of country music had kind of controversial <laughs> transplant surgery where he put animal glands in you to make you strong and healthy. We have a whole history of kind of okay positive thinking. <laughs> this kind of idea that if I think right and I do the right thing, I have the secrets of life. I so mean, Rascal Flatts was actually named after somebody's dog. Yes. Glenn. No, there used to be all across the border of Mexico. There used to be these kind of outlaw oh, radio stations. Word. The Carter families and everyone, this this doctor who was a quack who would implant. If I didn't know <laughs> you'd studied this nonsense, I would not believe no, you. No, these are great. They're great. They're, I mean, America has a whole. It's terrible. Like, it's terrible realities, but it's yes. great stories. No, we like comment. We yeah. like we like yeah. comment. Um, I mean, we like. So, what's going to happen? I mean, is, is Brady going to play to his 50, or are they going to both wind up in jail? So he I mean, has what's to stay. So, so there's a couple things. One, they've got a best-selling book. He's sort of trapped into the ass to stay playing okay. to prove how great they are. And he's setting okay. himself to be like the Tony Robbins of sport, like spiritual guru for the next of his life. He's going to hmm. spread. They call it the gospel. Well, he isn't quite called there, but he sees himself as an evangelist for this great new right, method. Right, And, uh, you know, it's causing chaos on the team for two reasons. One, um, a lot of the players now go to his guy because mm-hmm. you want to be in with Tom. You get to do this, and the so coach. Gu- so Guerrero's not the team trainer. No, he's his, he's Tom's okay. trainer, but he's kind of wedging himself into the gotcha. Patriots, which are the most successful team right yeah. now in major league sport or in professional sports. So yeah. he's sort of wedged himself in there, and the coach is finally like, and he's sort of 
trying to push the other trainers aside and they're making money off this and the coach is like that's enough yeah so the, for a long time he was on the sidelines and flying on the plane and the coach said no and that's caused stress the they got rid of the, the backup to Brady who was a, a potential rival because they didn't want him and there's arguments over why wow. the guy got thrown out why the guy got traded away but he got traded away at the last minute so the trainer has him. outside Brady's personal trainer has outsized influence on team decisions yes. then. Yes, or or Brady does because he's okay. you know a great quarterback, but the the relationship between him and this trainer has gone beyond and this kind of gospel of team yeah. twelve yeah. has become bigger than the team. Wow. And it's become a so now the coach who doesn't like distractions is like, No, you can't do that. And <clears throat> he's I, listen, he's got people to spy on. Belichick has people to spy on. He doesn't have time for this nonsense. It's like, why did you let this guy in the door? And I think people didn't know until a few years ago, some of the media started looking at this guy's background, and they're like, oh, wait, he got fired from the... Is Guerrero the one that let the air out of the footballs in that game? Guerrero did not let no one let... Is he the one? When it gets cold, the air Is he the one that deflated those footballs so Brady could throw back? There's no deflation the balls... It's oh, cold. Lord, you put a, you get what is your what happens to your tires when you go on a cold day? Well, Tom Brady doesn't do anything to him, that's for sure. Yeah. So, All right, so moving on from uh, Tom well, Brady. Well, can I say one more thing? So oh, there's like a, well, you're the co-host. You the can say one more thing. The interesting part for me is like what happens. What's the difference between weird religion where you believe something weird mm-hmm. and religion that becomes harmful? That's mm-hmm. why I was interested. So I've got more about this cat cult. They thought it was the end times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of weird. Like all religions. Well, they also believe that cats were like angels. angels yeah. 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 So that's a little more weird than just yes. believing but, the world's going to come in. You know, religion is weird. So the Bible stories are a little mm-hmm. weird. You know, the the Exodus, the the, the biggest the Red story. Sea and all that, yeah. yeah, across the sea, yeah. a bush talks to a guy out in the desert. Yeah. From the outside, you think. Well, we, for those of us who read the Bible, we believe that God spoke to the yes, guy in the desert, yes. not the bush. Gosh, spoke through the burning bush, though. It's a it's a very it's. Every religion, because the supernatural has mm-hmm. beliefs. So, what point do the supernatural become harmful? In this case, or the belief in the belief in the yeah. end. So, the, in this cat cult, the leader of this cult became controlling and harmful to her followers. Mm-hmm. In this case, you have a trainer who was helpful to Brady, who's turned him into this kind of deluded spiritual guru. Ru- could ruin his career, but also he's out espousing things like concussion juice. If you drink mm-hmm. concussion juice, you're not going to get concussion. If you drink a lot of water, you won't get sunburned. Like, you know, all these kind of, you eat this food, which is, none of this is any good for you, but. <clears throat> all of which means, folks, you shouldn't be a Patriots fan. I mean, that's just the bottom yeah, line. So. Cheer for the Titans, not the Patriots. And uh, disappointed. So the president of the Mormon church, is that what his yes. title is? Yes, yeah. so he's the president and Got the prophet, uh, Thomas Monson, the okay. long-standing. So the, the Mormons have a the Quorum of the Twelve. It's like the Twelve Leaders, right, the 12 right. Apostles. The, their leader is the president of uh, the church. He died recently. And the New York Times did an obituary, but the top of the obituary is pretty much all the controversy right. you know, over... About him a, personally or the Mormon uh, church the Mormon in general? Church in 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 connection with the culture. So okay. over same-sex marriage yeah. and whether you could have women be missionaries. Or so they didn't sense. eulogize him. They, they critiqued him over theology. They really critiqued that, but they framed it as like his, what defined his presidency. Okay. And how long was he? How long did he? About 10, 12 years. Oh, so, okay. so recent years. So there have been controversial things the yeah. whole 
But it's not like he was the J. Edgar Hoover of the Mormon no, Church. No, but it's it, it's instead of acknowledging him as a religious figure, they sort of talk about all these controversies, gotcha. which as if that defined his... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it got a lot of pushback from the, the Mormon yeah, folks. I read that, and yeah. the, the editor, Obit editor, had a pretty interesting discussion about what makes somebody newsworthy. So this mm-hmm. is why I'm interested in it. It's like... Well, that's... Okay, let's just stop for just a second because the, the New York Times obituaries are not like small town grandpa died uh his wife died three years ago and he's got four kids and he's going to be buried at pleasant hill cemetery uh new york times obituaries are extensive i mean they're they're very much many biographies for most of the people that they choose to profile so for a new york times obit to be perceived as off is a big deal, I think, to the New York Times because they seem to t- they seem to put a lot of stock in these obits because it's one of the most popular parts of yeah. the paper. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, they're hugely, and the obits are great. They're really they they have really good obit writers, which is a whole crap. Mm-hmm. They they uh, report them out, so they spend a lot of time in this. And in this case, I think five of the six first sentences were about controversy yeah. about women. Could women be priests? Mm-hmm. Can we have same sex marriage? Can we? All this can can you have sex outside of marriage? All those kind of things, which yeah. were important part of cultural issues. Doctrine, yeah. yeah, but part of more. But they weren't the the. A lot of more folks came and said, "Look, that these are all these all happen, but that's mm-hmm. not the definition of who he is." Yeah. So when you're and then Obit writer pushed back a little bit, saying, "Look, we as a newspaper, we're interested in news. We're interested in when religious groups how they impact the outside world, mm-hmm. social trends. So there's a difference between what a reporter thinks is newsworthy." And the people in the church think are newsworthy, mm-hmm. and that just applies to sure. all kinds of churches. You know, you have sure. you have things, your programs you're doing, and things that are central to your life that you think are really important, and you have kind of a big controversy at church, and that yeah. becomes the defining thing. So they, they pushed back, and I think it, it led to a good discussion over what makes what's newsworthy, mm-hmm. and and that's just a religion reporter, and I'm interested in the internal workings of it. Um, you know, a little bit like a sports writer is interested in kind of the inside part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this news obit, I think, missed the mark in focusing so much on that part. I mean, isn't life. it pretty accurate that 99 out of 100 Americans wouldn't even know this guy? If you just said, who is Thomas, what's his name, Monson? If you just walked up to 99 people or 100 people on the sidewalk in Nashville and said, who is Thomas Monson? I would venture to say 99 of them would say, I don't know, never heard the yeah. name before. And the and if it's more than 99, it's only because the, perp- the person is a Mormon that you're talking to yeah. or their family members are Mormons and yeah. they've had discussions. The average person would never have recognized that name. So it, it does seem to me odd that you'd start off with, from the New York Times, which isn't exactly the mecca of Mormonism. Yeah. New York City's not. To start off with a kind of a controversial take on the only reason they're even profiling this guy at all is because he's the president of the Mormon Church. If he'd been one of the twelve, he doesn't yeah, even no, make the list. The president. You know? the president of the Mormon Church, because of the Romney run for president, because they're bigger, you counted them among. If you said they were a denomination, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they are. Sure, I understand. If you classify them as a denomination, they'd be the third or fourth largest. They're mm-hmm. very, they're growing. They're they have a sizable. Influence in American culture, yeah. Uh, so it's worth, and the 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 prophet, the president is really a prop. 
he has a kind of a... Is that the same role that Joseph Smith had? Yeah, same okay. role as Joseph. So this is a very high profile. Yeah. He has more authority and power yeah. than, you know, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, okay. the president of other denominations. So uh, it is just a really interesting, like, how do you define... I mean, to say that someone didn't bend on their doctrine is... That's what you expect. You expect them not to bend. Yeah. Right? You expect that people who have both certain beliefs are going to believe them. That's really not right. newsworthy. That's, and why, thinky. that's why they're in well, that particular over, religion. Over the, it was a little over the top. But yeah. it also kind of it, it illuminates like when you're reporting on religion, this is a hard part. How much is going to be of interest to the public? Mm-hmm. How much is it insider baseball that no one's going to care about? Yeah, yeah. And you, I think religious groups especially have to be wary of that and know that it's going to be hard to uh, get people to pay attention to you unless something happens. Well, you know from experience that there's a world of difference between the way that Christianity today would run a story versus the way the Washington Post would run a story. Even if it's the same story, you submit it to both places, Christianity Today might say, okay, we love this, we'll run a light edit on it to fix your spelling, and then we'll set it free. Uh, Whereas Washington Post or another more secularly oriented yeah. journal might say, okay, well, we need to delete this sentence because our readers won't understand this yeah. at all, or we need to reword this because yes. they'll think you mean something else. Yeah. So that does make sense from a consumer's perspective yeah. that the average reader of the Times uh, would think about it differently yeah. than a Mormon would. Yeah, because like the biggest thing for him among Mormons is he really started to change the outward brand of them, really increasing the number of women missionaries. Okay. Sister missionaries, they call them. Okay. They, you know, there was... The, so do they the, wear a name tag that says Elder? Yeah, they're or just sister, say so sister, so sister, sister so-and-so. Okay. They might have just last name, Sister Jones. Yeah. Sister. But they, 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 you know, the, the public image of a Mormons for the longest time has been two guys in suits. Right. On bicycles or knocking at your door. Right. They, by opening up a lot more women to be in there, they're not equal numbers, but there are a lot more women it's much more likely you're going to have a, a, a kind of, you know, well-scrubbed mm-hmm. sister missionary knocking at your door. It changes the whole right. face of the church and changes the places women can serve. For them, that's the biggest thing he did. And gotcha. So that would be the, they were saying, okay, what's the lead? You know, lead with that. Yeah. Then you'd say that there were these other controversies. But right. What's his, and that's his biggest story. Well, that's a bigger story if you're going to talk about the impact that he had on his own denomination. Yes. It's a much bigger story than him affirming things that they've always believed. Yes, yeah. You know, uh, he supported, you know, or he was against same-sex marriage and against these other things like the church has been since it was founded, yeah. the denomination. Or uh, he was responsible for introducing more women into the missionaryhood or yeah. whatever they call it than any other president had. In fact, you know or was instigate, instigated an entire cultural shift within yeah, it's a, it's a huge the denomination. So, and, it, and it has big picture implications because the most, if you're, most Americans, if they're going to be the Mormon, it's going to be someone not going to be a sure, missionary. Sure. So they're changing the whole face of the public interaction uh, unless you're in Utah. So I, I, I do think, I mean, it's a little bit of critique, but my one critique of my own profession uh, as a religion writer is I'm a, that's my. That's what I do for a living. That's the people I profession I'm in. Is sometimes politics, especially for natural stuff, becomes the only lens with which we see mm-hmm. religion, and they don't see or or social cultural arguments. Yeah. Where 
that's a big cultural change. Yeah. And someone who a little more thought could have said, okay, we'll leave with that. These other things are important. So did the Times issue a, did they host a discussion in there the online discussion. forum? Or, they, I mean, they, what did they, they do? They did a discussion. That they, the ed, Obit editor, I thought it was good. The Obit editor got a, uh, took questions and mm-hmm. answered them. They interviewed him. So it was, it, okay. I think they responded to say, here's why we did what we did. It was very explanatory. Okay. I think they got a good pushback from Mormons to say, wait, why are you defining it this way? And so it was pretty healthy. It turned out healthy. But it also revealed this kind of gap between how, what religious people see as most important in their lives mm-hmm. and what news people who were just writing a story who were just writing a story saw as his most important contribution to public life. So speaking of journalists and how they write, uh, book was released, uh, I guess last week or maybe I know it was rushed to get out. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Fire and Fury by Michael Wolf, Mm -hmm. I believe. Um, and it purports to be a telling of, uh, the kind of inner workings of the white house. So um, I have I have the book on audiobook. Have not finished it yet. I don't know a lot of people personally who have finished the book, uh, either print or audiobook. But there's an enormous amount of uh, controversy around it. So um, people can get the book on their own, listen to it, listen to his interviews, and you know try to determine uh, whether they think he's telling the truth or not. But from what I can gather from hearing his uh, interviews and reading reporting about the book is that he um, he was kind of invited into the White House to write a story, uh, kind of found a way to hang around more frequently than anybody knew that he was, and kind of worked the system a little bit to, uh, to be able to... He, he kind of had an open invitation, and so he didn't wear out his welcome. He just came often enough that people recognized that he'd been there before, and nobody really knew whose guest he was, so nobody really pushed him on anything. And so he just started writing down a lot of his observations, uh, relating at least to some degree the conversations that he overheard, uh, did some direct interviews. But I think, if I understand correctly, they're really the minority of the book. A lot of the book really is conversations he listened to, uh, other people's perceptions of conversations they were in, how they were related to him. And then I think he's admitted that even some of the book is his interpretation of conversations mm-hmm. that he heard. So he, he writes some of the book as if he's quoting someone when he's really doing is summarizing or interpreting what they said as mm-hmm. if they were quoting. So he's, he's come under some fire, uh, not only from the pol- politicians in the white house, he's, he's come under a little bit of fire from his profession. Um, now, you know, again, somebody else can talk about what's in the book and whether it's true and accurate and all that kind of stuff. But is, is that the normal way that if you're a journalist, you're going to write kind of a tell-all, for lack of a better term, or an expose type of book? You just kind of wing it and, uh, you well, know, well, record people on the sly. <laughs> I think record on the sly. What I think is... Well, he said he recorded... Okay, it starts off yeah. with a dinner party. We're with he and another reporter yeah. who I found on Twitter. I can't remember her name. And then four people from the campaign, if I, I think this yeah. is correct. And my understanding is he claims to have recorded okay. that dinner party yeah. because 
Dude, I'm telling you, it is very extensive. It is like a lengthy conversation with multiple people contributing to the conversation. And if you are sitting there and you're not taking notes on top of the table, then, and you're relating a conversation in summary, that's 10 or 15 minutes of audio. It's felt like anyway, and what had to be pages and pages of print from a multi hour dinner party. It's not uncommon for a couple of things for people after a meeting to write down things. If Correct. You can't write down, but that's not uncommon. People are trained to do that to yes. remember what happened. Well, I write think, down your immediate memories yes, yes. so that you don't forget yeah, yeah, and have yeah, to reframe. Yeah. And I think, if I recall, it's a dinner party he hosted. That is correct. At his house. And so, he invited those four <laughs> people be, specifically. Yeah. So, so I think we need to talk about a couple of things. One is in journalism, there's different kinds of journalists, mm-hmm. like straight news reporters. There are op-ed writers, there are columnists, and then among columnists, there's like sports columnists, right. political columnists. He's a gossip columnist. That's okay. what he is. <laughs> a lot of newspapers used to have like society pages. Right. My aunt used to be the society ed- editor of her local paper. Okay. So she'd write about rich people in town and you know charity events and who wore a dress at what. And so that's the and he writes about media, but he's really a New York celebrity gossip writer. And, okay. and you want Truman Capote? No, Capote, because Capote was re- like his book on the um, in cold blood. In cold blood. He, he said was true fiction. That's what yes. he called it. But he, but he did a lot of reporting on that. But maybe a little bit like that. But I was thinking more like lifestyles of the rich and famous. Okay, Robert Leach. You know, it's juicy. It's they had different kinds of rules. Rooms. I mean, in some ways, sports writing is like this. You can use anonymous sources. Mm-hmm. A source told me. Sure. You can get you get closer to like ESPN is a broadcast partner with football and also reports on it. Right. So they have so like I couldn't invite I mean I suppose I could have a meeting if we did this or an interview. Like when I said I wanted to interview uh, the head of the Baptist Convention and the head of the Methodist Church and the head of the African Methodist Episcopal mm-hmm. Church and, and I wanted to have a, a dinner party and we're going to interview them as part of, you know, you could have it over a meal. I would say, we're going to do this. We're going to set up some microphones. I'm a reporter writing a story. We wouldn't be friends. Right. And Augustine Collins ends up being friends with these people. Right. That's how they get a lot of their information. They get a lot of their information. They're kind of an insider. It's not a hard news reporting sort of thing. And it's juicy. And so, like, when you're a reporter, you say, I'm working on a story. First thing when I call someone. Right. I'm a reporter from wherever I am, working on a story. Right. So we have defined the terms of our relationship. The gossip columnist relationship to those people is a lot squishier. But don't, doesn't the average person expect that from a gossip columnist? Yes. I mean, if you're, if you're Michael Wolf and you're the most well-known gossip columnist on the eastern seaboard, and you run into him at a dinner party, and you're both drinking whatever, ginger ale... And he's pumping you for information. You know it's going to be in his next yes. column. Yeah. Even if it's not attributed to you, it's going to be in his next column. Yeah. Anyone who's like, are we surprised by? We, we so is there a possibility that that the people in the White House did not realize the type of journalist that he was, and that I, they would have expected more of a not even Woodward Bernstein, but just a, a the person whose name would be at the top of the masthead? I I can't. See that I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the terms are there. Somebody invited him in, and he's like letting a, a fox in the hen house. Right? I don't. I don't know. I'm trying to. But that's sure. It. No. I'm they sure. let him in. They knew the kind of reporter he was. But 
But somewhere somebody did not realize, or a lot of somebodies. Or they assumed that, yeah. He was... One person assumed he was there on behalf of another person, and that yeah. person didn't even know he was in the building. And a third person assumed that it was a fourth person that yeah, he was he the guest an at. View and, and the really and the reality was he he had worked this kind of open pass yeah. to where he could come, and nobody was telling him no. So he would sit down in the West Wing and for two or three or four hours, listen to conversations, make notes, write things down, and then he published the book. Yeah. And so the book is, um, I mean, just to use a not superly outsized term is outlandish in some of the things that it claims that were said in, in those conversations. So without getting specific on any of them, because it's not the point, it's that if, if somebody challenges him on any of that and he claims to have audio tapes says he's not going to release them. At least that's the, one of the interviews I said, I saw with him said he wasn't going to release them that the book stands on its own. Well, it, it is and it isn't standing on its own. I mean, he's come under a tremendous amount of fire, and not just him personally, but the book has come under yeah. a tremendous so the, amount the of fire. The book has got problems because, I mean, most people don't realize books, all the, the um, if you work for a magazine, magazine tends to be really fact-check everything mm-hmm. because their name is on it. With book publishers, the book, all the, the, um, when you sign the contract, you say everything in this book is true. Mm-hmm. The best analogy, you're not lying about it. And all the responsibility comes on you. So nobody fact-checked it. It wasn't copy-edited well. Most, mm-hmm. of the, most of the errors in the book, at least the ones I see, he like misspelled public. Right. He got two reporters with the same last name wrong. Right. He got the wrong date on. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought Vayner. he had a couple of dates. This, yeah. These are like small things that, that should have been picked up, but they're not substantive part of the right. book. You know, um, I, I see the factors going. It's a terrible journal. I'm like, what? And, and, and isn't go, part of it? That, isn't part of it too that if the publisher reads the first draft, you know, gets it edited, reads yeah. the second draft, and he's telling them, "Okay, I've got tapes on some of this stuff, yeah, yeah. and I can pretty well defend everything in this book to in, in some interpretation. Yeah. I can defend all this." They already know they're going to sell three million copies before anything could happen that would substantially damage the yeah. sales of the book, right? I mean, don't, yeah. isn't yeah. that kind of a, a risk that they're it's taking? It's a risk. That they, I mean, they, they put in the contract that it's his responsibility. Mm-hmm. And he has kind of a reputation for being sloppy with the the details, but getting the story sort of right. Okay. So, See, it kind of reminds me, there's this episode of Andy Griffith. Yeah where uh, Opie and his friend start a newspaper, and it's the Mayberry Crier or whatever. I can't remember. And so their initial stories were they were writing about stuff that happened at school, and nobody wanted to buy their 10-cent paper or whatever it was. It was one sheet that they were mimeographing off in somebody's garage until they decided to turn it into a gossip rag. And then they were doing exactly that. They're standing outside of buildings listening to the adults talk, then they go back and they write a story. Well, so-and-so is a blonde from a bottle, and everybody knows it. Of course, they'd heard Barney say that, or they'd heard Andy say something, or Aunt B say something. So they'd write all this, all this stuff down, non-attributed. And then they'd go out, and of course, their sales skyrocketed. And then I think that's the episode where Andy and Barney are in the town dump trying to find all yeah. the extra copies of it before anybody <laughs> finds it. Um so there, there does seem to be, in some ways, this um, 
uh, truthiness, I think yeah. was a word that Colbert used to use a lot. Yeah. Uh, truthiness to this book where th- there's some of it that may be like point blank. It's word for word. Yeah. Probably has a tape. Probably wrote it based on the tape that he had. Uh, other parts are probably his perspective on things. And then some of it's just salacious to sell the book. Yeah, I think it's mostly, even beyond truthiness, it's just gossip. Mm-hmm. And gossip is salacious by nature. And he probably has tape on it. He has direct observations. He's got people at his house. But you know, when you get people alone and comfortable, they tell you all kinds of stuff that they don't want anyone to know about. Yeah. And any workplace, any church, any family has skeletons. So could and- he be sued? If he didn't tell those people at the dinner party that he was now, if he doesn't release the tape, then technically he hasn't like released the privacy of the conversation. Yeah. They're all famous people. It would be really hard. It's hard to sue the famous people. Right. It's hard to sue a famous, it's hard for a famous person to sue. It's hard to sue if, unless you. Because liable is more pliable. Yeah, pliable the is. more famous you are. Yeah the more you're open to somebody saying almost anything they want to yeah. about you and you can't be defamed. Yeah. I mean, they have all the books about every politician oh, or yeah. whatever it yeah. is. And, and the, the, um, so the fame, you have to know it's wrong. You have to have malicious intent. Yeah, the malicious intent's yeah. the one that somebody had to hear him say, hey, wait till this book comes yeah, out. Yeah, I'm going to, you know. intentionally miss it. But yeah. people's, we all know that people's memories are faulty. People hear what they want to hear. They interpret a certain way. And politicians are by, and celebrities in general do not, are not the most transparent yeah. truth tellers. Yeah. And th- there's politicking going on, but who wants and to And then when you're in Washington, everybody's a type A and everybody yes, wants to be on the yes. top. And so they're going to say. New York, right? They're all New York. So, well, that's true. Some of them were Washington people in New York. Yes, the yeah, some, and some are New Yorkers. <laughs> yeah. like, this, is a, this is a specific kind of, and it, it's interesting that that's the kind of person who can get access yeah. to the, and they probably. Feel like they're they've broken some unwritten rules. Yeah, they're probably unwritten rules that they feel like they broke um, and got caught. And got caught. And he's telling and the tale. tale. Like if you go back to, it reminds me of like the whole baseball steroids era. Mm-hmm. I mean, anyone who's saw I, ne- teams, I never used. I just want to be saw clear. you know like you know play, players become gigantic. Yeah, yeah. And play better when they, and then you you think the reporter would probably need to say. Hey, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody yeah. did because it was either unwritten there with the team offense. Probably people saw things right. they didn't report or they didn't think. So were. that brings up an interesting point, and we only have a couple minutes left. But it brings up an interesting point. Uh, one of the things that I read in Wolf's defense was that he was willing to burn all of his journalistic bridges to publish a book that he felt like was that important. So obviously, if you're a gossip columnist, you're not really burning your journalistic bridges because there's always going to be somebody that's going to tell you yeah. something. But the point being that he's not going to be invited back to the White House no. for anything. No, he's not going to be invited back to Washington anytime soon, mm-hmm. uh, unless you know people are walking around with their own equipment to scan him every 15 seconds to make sure he didn't have a recording device on him. He's throwing a lot of money off this book. He's, he burned some bridges, but I think it's a gossip columnist like. That's what he does. Yeah. That's his now stock and trade. Stock and trade, and maybe he's burned some relationships that that he. But he may not be close to all these people. He's a New York gossip columnist. Uh, he might get people, and people might be mad at him also because he got a story that they couldn't. Yeah, tell. and that's some professional jealousy yes, for sure. Professional jealousy. And there are different rules. Like there, there are stories that I know about that I can't 
write about now because I can't get the on the record. Right. Different different kinds of reporting. And there's different a difference kinds. too between off the record, on the record, yes. and deep background yes. and a source. Yeah. You know, an anonymous the, source yeah. or an unnamed source. So there there are these different levels. Yes. All of which are legitimate reporting. Yes. But not everybody realizes that an unnamed source can be just as, as truthful, as, as truthful and yeah, yeah. responsible but you, generally as you, a name. You when you're saying we're in a story, you define the terms yeah. you're going on. You sometimes use people for background, sometimes yeah. you use the people who can't tell you like in a in an abuse case, and if someone who's abused or, or sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. Generally, you don't put their name yeah. because they could be. You, there's harm for someone right. coming from. Sure, those sure. You, you vet them still, but then sometimes you don't. You don't uh, have people on the record because they're anonymous. Yeah. Or someone's going to get fired, and they're you know they're they're whistleblowing. Right. Um, those even some places still won't. Well, the whistleblower need to know the name. The, the reporter knows the name. The publisher probably knows the name. They probably vetted it. Um, in this case, he has played fast and loose, loose with, but that's who he was. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to go in, you're going to give me all your So anybody, confidence who, anybody who knew Michael Wolf as a writer was gonna know is not surprised by this book. I mean, we know people saying? like this. We know people in okay. work that you don't tell things to because, sure. you know, uh, and I, I would say that the current politically, political com, uh, Climate in D.C. are not. It's not filled with people in D.C. who have locked down messaging. Yeah, you know, yeah, a lot sure. of loose lips. Sure, all over D.C. right now. And a lot, of, and all of those people are uh, not accustomed to spending time with the press. Yes, yeah. So their nuance is different than yeah. a, a career politician. Yeah, so we're in a- All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us uh, for the Fourth State Podcast. I'm Marty Duran. I'm Bob Smithana. So uh, hopefully this will be a weekly deal, uh, and so we'll talk to you next time.